0: are you an avid reader searching for wholesome books have you been searching for new and exciting adventures or uplifting biographies how about escaping in a fictional novel a wholesome fictional novel that is then christianwritersbookstore.com is for you i am michael furlonger i am uh, an author and founder of
1: christianwritersbookstore.com it'll be link will be in the description below today we have robert lloyd russell with us he has written uh, several books on many different different topics for over 40 years he has been actively teaching and preaching the word of god and to share a quote from his biography again link will be in the description below he desires to help others develop a living theology and dynamic discipleship Hello, Bob. How are you today? Doing just great.
2: How about yourself?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, could you just uh, to start this off, maybe just share a bit of your background and how um, God called you into into writing?
2: I appreciate the way <clears throat> the way you phrased that question. I, I look at uh, Christian authors, much like uh, pastors and missionaries. I think it really is a calling, or it should be. Uh, I think that people go into it for other reasons personal gratification, money. They're going to be disappointed. And to me, I'd rather write what the Spirit of God guides me and, and have few readers than to write something the market's asking for and have a uh, high volume of readers. And so that's kind of my thing. I, I do it for, because I'm driven to do it, not because I'm trying to make money necessarily. Uh, and uh, I try to price my uh, in, in ebooks now because I can price them so inexpensively anybody can, can obtain them. But uh, I started, uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home, uh very dysfunctional home. Uh, and I didn't accept Christ until I was my first freshman college. And uh, from that time on, God has been pleased to use me in a variety of ways huh? and uh, most recently in writing, I I started thoughts for writing back in nineteen late seventies early eighties, um, but all the books I've written have taken years to develop. Uh, I don't sit down and write something off. I start thinking about things and regurgitating and and eventually figuring out an outline for a particular book, and then from there I start uh, working on it and keep working on it. I usually work on several books par- in parallel, like I am now. And uh, you never get it right, but you, you get to a point where you think, well, this is good enough to release for other people to read. And that's kind of how I write. Um, all of my books have been Christian non-fiction. I, my, I think my specialty is to uh, take complex subjects and try to make them easy to understand, simple, in innovative ways. I get that from my career. Uh, my background was a management consultant and I consulted with uh, l- literally over a hundred companies. Uh, some of them fortune 500 hundred companies, household names. Others were little tiny companies, government organizations, uh, non-profit organizations. And I became known as a person that could take complex issues and reduce it down to the simplicity. And that's what I tried to do with my Christian writing.
1: I totally agree. I think actually it was... I was through writing to you that I said, um, I told you that I only write for an audience of one. And right and if God wants it, then... Uh,
2: yeah, it's his work. Mm-hmm. My job is to be faithful. His job is to do whatever he wants to do with it. And uh, you know, you, if you start worrying about results, it's easy to get sidetracked. So you've written uh,
1: a lot of books on the nature and the heart of God. I'm gonna... I have to... Read them. Um, God's desire, how to please God. God's church, Christ, Christ's pearl. Uh, God's nature, sunlight and sunlight. Which um, uh, God's child, like a tree, one precious pearl. God's designed for His church, and Thy will be done. Um, so I know to listed off a, a large number of books and. Uh, Different topics. Could you share a bit on uh, on those books and kind of the um, your your sales demographic, I should say, your your audience you're aiming for? And
2: yeah, I think, like you said, the audience is for one, <laughs> but uh, it's I think really the people who tend to appreciate. Well, I've had a very good result uh, input from readers, all the way from uh, internationally well-respected theologians to prisoners uh, in. One prisoner who's in for like 600 years for rape and murder and stuff like that. Uh, gave me some wonderful comments. And on the other hand, uh, Earl Rodmacher, who was the president of Western Seminary for many years, uh, passed away now, but he was also general editor of New King James Study Bible. He had many good things to say about some of my writing. Another theologian would be Dr. Ron Allen Dallas Seminary, who was head of theology. Uh, or a doctor, I've exactly the exact title, but uh, so I, I've been in, in uh, women's ministry leaders and churches, uh, homemakers appeal to a lot of audiences, and I, I'm not quite sure why God has allowed me to do this, but I'm thankful that He has. I don't have a huge readership, uh, you know, if your name's not Billy Graham or Charles Swindoll, it's, it's a tough marketplace, uh, but uh like we said earlier, you write what God wants you to write and leave results with him. I think uh, reading really the three three books got me started at once. They're all analogies. And uh, you know, Pilgrim's Progress was an analogy. Uh, there's been other good books for analogies, uh, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, uh, Dr. Brent uh, Keller, his shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. My first three books, that I was, as far as starting to work on, was the one on light and how natural light and spiritual light have many, many interesting parallels. that blows your mind away. And the, so, I my ebook version of that is called God's Nature: Sunlight S-O-N, sunlight S-U-N. The uh, parallels between the two—it's amazing. And the other one in that Christian Concepts series, as I call it, is the uh, one on the pearl. Um, and I call that, um, get myself so many different ways. Uh, God's church, Christ's pearl. Um, the, the pearl, Matthew, the pearl, great price in Matthew 13, to me is one of the most misunderstood uh, and least taught parables of Christ. There are three, I would say, main interpretations of many others. So I start that book by explaining each of those three and why I hold to it or don't hold to it. And some of my favorite uh, Christian leaders have a little different view than I do, but I explain why I take the view I do. As an example, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he took the view that was salvation, uh, but there's a lot of fallacies with that view. And even though he's one of my favorite authors and preachers of all time, Dr. Ron Allen as Dallas Seminary takes a slightly different view than I do. A couple of my theolo- theological reviewers take a slightly different view, but we all can agree that there's real room for differences of opinion on this particular parable. So I explained the three main parables, why I take the, the view I do, and then I go into all the analogies that fit that, that, that view. And then the third one is like a tree, Psalm 1-3. Dr. Ron Allen, who is, uh, probably one of the most respected uh, theologians in the country with regard to the Psalms, called that the definitive work on Psalm 1. And it's all about comparing the, the nature and growth of a Christian to the nature and growth of a tree. So, well, you know, a lot of time Christ spoke in parables uh, using analogies somewhat similar, a biblical analogies, so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. And uh, it's just absolutely amazing uh, what you find. And that makes it memorable that makes it easier to remember when you have analogies just like a parables are easier to remember than just dry text uh, i'll give you one example from light uh, i think i've got a page marked here so i don't give you wrong numbers but um, in the speed of light everybody knows light's fast uh, I mean, it's so tremendously fast compared to anything else. But what, one of the aspects of the speed of light is uh, it takes more and more energy to go faster and faster. And so if you, in my chart I put in my book is, if you start off with say a spaceship on earth, that uh, if you could imagine a spaceship that weighs 200 tons, that's what it weighs when it's not traveling. By the time it's scoring 10% of the speed of light, it would weigh 201 tons. And the chart keeps going up, by the time we uh, 60% of the speed of light, it would weigh 250 tons. This all comes, by the way, from Einstein, uh, whom nobody has disputed. By the time you get to 90% of the speed of light, it's going to weigh 459 tons. 99.9%, 4,472 tons. By the time you get 99.999% of the speed of light, it's going to weigh 44,721 tons. And if you were to get to the absolute speed of light, it would weigh infinite amount. Now, think about that infinite amount of energy to go that fast. God travels that fast. He's infinite in his power. Uh, It's just one of many, many examples of how the speed of light, natural speed of light, uh, compares to the nature and attributes of God. Um, another ex- quick example about reading anything is scientists tell us and, uh, no, no credible scientist uh, at this point that may will disprove it. But the theory is that as you travel, uh, it's at the speed of light. As you approach the speed of light, your dimension shrinks in the direction of travel you're going. So if you're this long on the earth, as you go faster and faster and go slower and slower, and by the time you reach the speed of light, it's zero in, in that dimension, which makes it invisible. Another attribute of God. So there's there's all of these kinds, many many of these type of examples of how analogy, simple statements. When John wrote in one five, God is light. Um, Spirit of God caused him to write that, and he it has many other meanings, of course. But you can't help believing what we now know that there's a lot more to it than what John understood. And uh, so all, there's so many of these parallels between what happens when a physical object, if it could approach the speed of light, which it can't, but if it could, it would have the same characteristics as God. Someone. Including the amount of energy to propel it. <laughs> yeah, invisible and in this. So that's just two of many examples. So, you know, when people who have read my book, they say, whenever I see light, and, and it's so... Everybody takes light for granted. There's a story of a physicist years ago, a professor of physics in, I think it was Oxford or one of those English schools. Every year at the end of his term, he'd leave the classroom and tell people who want to do one thing write down a list of everything that's in this room. When he retired, people asked him, Professor, you're famous for always asking people to write down everything that's in the room. People came prepared because they knew you were going to ask questions. Why did you keep doing it? So I just think it's a good exercise exercise and observation and he says, i never got nobody ever gave me a complete answer really professor says yeah for instance nobody ever told me there was light in the room you know it's such a thing we take for granted and yet another example is that all of life according to many sources including a quote from smithsonian institute all of our life is all life on earth is dependent on the light from the sun Nothing could exist without the light, not just because of the, the light itself, but because of what it does to grow plants and animals eat the plants and you know, all the other things go involved. Um, so without light from the sun, uh, we couldn't even exist. So it's just there's so many analogies that uh, come when you start looking at what the Bible is saying and going a little deeper than what we trivially, uh, typically just trivially pass over. And that's true of uh, church as a pearl. Uh, it's true with uh, looking a little less, it's a little more obvious, but it's also true in looking at the growth of a Christian versus the growth of a tree, Psalm 1 3. Um, so, I, I my, in my ebooks, I'm doing four ebooks a year now. Many of those, or a good percentage of those at this point, are rewrites of my printed printed books of years past. But uh, it's amazing uh, the analogies and what come out of it. And, and then I, after that, I, I, I was privileged as a young boy to, uh, I told you I came from a dysfunctional home and for a, while, a period of time as a young boy, I lived in the Elliott family home. Jim Elliott, a martyred missionary, one of five missionaries, famous missionary, martyred in the jungles. Uh, he actually had a loaded weapon with him, but he didn't use it because he, he felt like I'm going to heaven, these the savages aren't. But anyway, uh, his, his widow Elizabeth Elliott became a well-known writer. But I lived with the Elliott family when I was a small boy for a period of about six weeks. And Jim was at home at the time. Um, he was actually my Sunday school teacher. So, I uh, forgot where I'm, going. Oh, where I'm going with that is that I have a book where I edited of the tapes of Jim Elliott. Uh, most people don't realize that his voice has been recorded. Uh, it was on an old wire recorder. Wire recorders were before a day's magnetic tape. Uh, stainless steel wire. The way it came about uh, long after Jim had died and long after Fred and his dad had died, my wife and I were over at the widow's house, Clara Elliott, and we went outside and helped her pick apples off her tree, had lunch together. And after lunch, we're sitting there around the kitchen table, uh, drinking tea. And she said to me, Bob, I wish I could hear Jim's voice again. I said, yeah, Clara, so do I. I Oh, Bob, I wish I could hear Jim's voice again. Yeah, Clara. So would I. She just said this about a third time. I said, Claire, what are you getting at? She says, well, Fred, her husband, had recorded Jim many times, several times uh, in the past before he went to the mission field. And uh, it's on an old wire recorder. Hasn't worked for years. It's down in the closet. So I said, let's go look at it. And I found the old recorder, and I found a box full of, wire recordings not only of Jim but of many famous preachers of the day. And I took it I was at the time I was in the high tech industry. <coughs> Excuse me. I was in the high tech industry. And so I managed to mess around with it for a little bit. And eventually I got to where I could get sound out of it. The wires, many of them had knots in them because they broke easily and Claire would laugh and tell us how Brad would take the wire and broke tie and tie a knot in it. And then, you know, you just miss a phrase or two. Anyway, uh, I finally got it working. Um hooked up a jack to it so I could, at that time, send the output to a cassette tape. And so I managed to record some of her, the Jim Elliot tapes we had, with. a lot of other tapes I haven't gone back and transcribed. These tapes were hard to translate because even in the day when wire recordings were new, they were not very good for fidelity. And over time and not and there were places where my wife and I would spend with a professional uh, uh, transcribing machine, sometimes 20 minutes on one word, trying to figure out what he's saying uh, and fit context. And you did it sound like that, whatever. It took us a lot of years to uh, get it done, but it was really a labor of love. And I ended up publishing four of those. Uh, messages of his in a print book. And now more recently, I've added two more and put it in an ebook on Jim Elliott. And uh, it's a very different style of preaching. He was a very, very solid, yeah, I would call him a theologian. Uh, you read his messages and you, you gain things no matter what level of maturity you're at spiritually. Uh, tremendous messages. So that was a fun project that uh, I was enabled to do. Uh, one of my books, uh, both the print book has four messages, the ebook has six. Uh, and uh so it you know this I've had fun with my, the ebook process now and uh you know I I know a lot of people don't get into ebooks. I personally got travel a lot until COVID hit I like the idea of having some good books on my phone I can you know you know don't take up a lot of space and that's another thing about my writing uh, I tend to write short chapters broken up into shorter segments and uh, I try to make it so that people on the go can read, read almost any amount of time they have. I only have five minutes, they so can get something meaningful read. Uh, at the end of every chapter, I have what I call think and grow questions. I've had a lot of feedback from people who I read through a book and just uh, ate one of my books and just marveled at, but then they said I went back a second time and either by myself or in a small group study, took a lot of time for questions at the end of each chapter to contemplate, think this: how does this really apply? And that's part of my, my goal is to uh, not only help people gain a new understanding of some topics they don't have but also to have them obviously grow in their spiritual life
1: that's amazing i actually um just the other day i watched a, a, a I guess it was a biography or autobiography a video called at the end of a spear i
2: think it's called yeah you know, um, nate saint's son steve saint put that together nate saint was one of the five who was killed that was that's probably the most recent video uh, out on topic. Uh, my book on Jim has at the back pages of references of various things been published about that whole event and published since then about. about it. Nate Saints did, has done the world a great service in putting out that uh, the end of the spear video. He's also been heavily involved in developing better, uh, more adaptable uh, mission aviation planes so um
1: so with all this writing is there ever a time where uh where god should lays um i always say the word burden but where god lays something so uh such a revelation about himself that that you're like now i get it or i never got it and now i do
2: well i I think that's really what all my writing is pretty much about only it isn't like a flash of lightning at once i've over been times like that the the book uh on but I wrote most recently an e-book is called, um, I have, to, I can't keep the title, straight uh, God's Desire, How to Please God. That book uh, is interesting in the sense that uh, as a child, I used to go to, a well, I shouldn't say, yeah, but it's actually before as a Christian, I used to go to uh, an annual Labor Day conference in our church. And they'd always have a question and answer period. And every year you could count on people asking about understanding the will of God and there's a lot of books on the topic and anyway uh, What God laid on my heart within a period I think it was about 72 hours I developed two complete graphic models of what I call the general will of God That's what God's desire is for all of mankind and the specific will of God uh what the graphic model, what God's desire is for you individually, how they determine it. And uh, so in front of that book, I gave a very short introduction to will God and the three three main different categories of the will of God, which people, if they don't understand that, can get very confused with the will of God. There's a the will of God for all mankind. He wants all people to be saved. There's a the will of God for, for all Christians, you know? And then then there's a the question about decision-making as a Christian. Uh, but so God I've kind of laid that on my, that whole, the two complete graphic models were developed within about a 72-hour period, an hour period. And uh, they make up the bulk of that book after explaining briefly, the aspects of the will of God. And it's been helpful to many people, uh, understanding of relationships. Uh, So yeah, but most of the time it's it's more of a topic. The light book came about originally. I was in the high tech industry and I had rapidly advanced in the high tech industry. And I was managing an engineering group and uh, I got tapped on the shoulder. Said, "Bob, we've got a problem." So I had tended to get, go places where we had problems relationally with people. Uh, we need somebody to take over the camera engineering manager. I, uh, I knew virtually nothing about light. I had not studied light or optics in detail. Uh, I was an avid amateur photographer, but my job was to go in there as a manager and make things work. So. Obviously, I had to start learning about light, and it's about the same time I started contemplating that passage, God is light, and that's what got me going on that topic. And uh, that was way back in the early days. I wrote a thick manuscript, uh, twice as thick as the original three-part printed book on light, uh, written on yellow tablet, and then it was typewriter, carbon paper. After that, boy, I'm glad those days are behind me. Computers now are so easy. Uh, But I didn't publish it for years because I kept working on it. And it was a a laborious process, thinking about it, trying to simplify things. Um, But So yeah, all all these topics have, I think are, I believe God inspired me to say, okay, go after this, make it simple, make it understandable. Um, And that's what I've tried to do. and uh like I say that was my career and that I did that, and uh would make things simple in the management world uh i mean i, I worked with all size of companies uh, consulting many people aren't aware of a consulting business, how difficult it is, but consultants oftentimes get stood up, they don't get paid for what their work. One of the really proud things I have about my career background is I never once not got paid. I had two companies that were slow on paying, but I never had a company not pay me. Um, and uh, so I think that speaks volume. So it's so uncommon. And uh, I had one client that I billed uh, consulting fees every month for about 20 years. Um, always new projects that had me doing, pretty good size company. But, uh, and I, you know, I, I got to rub shoulders with, with pretty powerful people, some major corporations, household names, all three the big automakers, United Airlines, uh, other companies uh, and many, many small companies. So I learned a lot in the process. I think I learned as much as they did. I, I had a program for chief executives called Supportive Copilot, where I basically I like a copilot in the plane beside them. Uh, many times, if they had a trusted confidant, they would, discussed with me things they hadn't even discussed with their board of directors uh too early um, bouncing ideas and I actually got into consulting by accident but that's another story uh, but uh, I did that part-time while I was working full-time in the industry and then uh, later I went full-time for the last almost oh, been 15-20 years of my career was full-time consulting
1: so you know, you kind of touched on this about um about Jim Elliot but you have two books
2: Mm-hmm. On, uh,
1: on Jim Elliott, uh, can you share a bit about him and why you chose chose him as, um, I don't want to say character, but... Uh,
2: as a topic to write on? Mm-hmm. Well, basically, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I knew him personally, and uh, I was at his going away party to the mission field. His dad, Fred Elliott, was one of my, my first real spiritual mentor. He stayed with me for years as a personal mentor. And uh, it was such a national, international story when the deaths happened. I thought people might like to hear, you know, he's, a lot of his quotes are out there, most common one about, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And, uh, but he's got a lot of of other quotes that are well known. And so, and I I highly recommend the book by, uh, edited by his, Widow uh, who's passed on, now Elizabeth called the Journals of Jim Elliot. It's not as well known, but you really get a glimpse into his, it's his own journals, uh, how deep he was, and every day he'd enter what he was studying, what he's thinking. There's a lot of really interesting thoughts in there. Um, They're fragmented. So with my books, they're they're his messages. So uh, they're not fragmented. They're very organized, topical discussions. The first book, Jim Elliot has four messages. The first two were given to uh, young young people uh, in a school, uh, middle a, uh, middle school and high school. And uh, one's called Spiritual Desire, all about spiritual desire. The second he gave the next day to that same class was the effects of sin in the Christian. Uh, then the, the last two in that book are full-length messages he gave to adults. One was on Peter. The apostle, and one was God's prophet, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, showing him how he's a prophet above all prophets. And then in the ebook version, I've added two more. Uh, one was on the resurrection of Christ, and one was on the, the times that he, he fed the thousands with the loaves of bread and fish and so forth. And both of them, all, all six of those messages have meaningful content. Uh, you know, I, One of the things, just one example, uh, the feeding of the thousands, one of the things he points out is he was creator God. Uh, he took two loaves and five fish and he created all he needed. Uh, you know, I had never really thought about it before, but uh, that was one more evidence of his creative ability. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. So, yeah, he's, uh, I just had an interest in him. His father was my mentor, uh, was very helpful to me. I look back in my life, um, I had a very troubled youth, as I think I mentioned. I look back in my life from the time I became a christian i didn't realize it until maybe a decade or so ago in every decade or so in my life god has brought some man or into my life that was a mentor to me not necessarily like i don't think any more officially mentors we didn't talk about those terms like the don't forget term existed uh but they poured themselves into me and my spiritual growth. And there's one example is actually two men. Uh, they were in our church. They were probably 40s, late 40s or 50s. I was probably late 20s or early 30s. And they told me one Sunday, they said, Bob, uh, we're going to have a, do a, a correspondence Bible study in my home every Wednesday evening. Would you like to join us? And it was just the three of us. And I, looking back on it, I realized they took me on as a project. I knew I needed it and just, you know, and, uh, So at each point in my life, uh, it's just about every decade, circumstances change and somebody else is brought into my life. And I think there's a huge need for that. uh, And for, you know, small groups in churches, (coughs) excuse me again, small groups in churches are another example of, uh, that was not a common thing until late seventies. And um, the, prior to then, most churches that had midweek services were at the church, prayer and Bible study type things. I was actually involved with a merger of two small churches in the 1970s. And uh, we just grew rapidly. We grew from about two churches combined, we were only a little over 100 people, but within about five years, we were about 600 people in the church. And uh, one of the key reasons was uh, one of the pastors put me in charge of this new idea of having small groups. And uh, we ended up with 70% of the adult members in that church were in small groups, actively involved. They all signed a, an agreement that they, for priority and a bunch of other things. And uh, it was some of the most fruitful time of my life. In fact, I hadn't seen that pastor for years. And he just called me about two weeks ago. He was, got my number. We went out to lunch together and stuff. Wanted to get back together, but uh, it was a meaningful thing. But I, I think my point is, I think, Mentors in small group interaction are critical. Always been critical, especially in the culture we live in today. Uh, I, most men, in my experience, don't have any close friends. And by close friends, I mean somebody. If something happened, you could call them at two o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't be upset at you. You know how many of us have very many people we could do that to. Uh, and if you're going to stand in a secular world that is getting a you know more and more secularized every year you need to have the strength of others around you god has never intended to have lone ranger christians make it on their own we need each other and that's one of the values of books although i always recommend people spend most of their time in the bible not in books i've written or anybody else has written but uh, sometimes the additional books can help i don't know if that's been your experience but to me uh the need for support from other Christians is critical.
1: yeah you, you definitely um uh I don't know if you know uh, uh Leonard Ravenhill if you've ever heard
2: of Yes.
1: Him, yeah, uh I was I was really st- dealing with some some of the isolation and stuff that I I find in in a lot of churches uh these days and I was listening to him and he was doing a sermon on the spirit of a prophet and it was on um that sometimes you'll find yourself very much alone but but like the great prophets, like Elijah and uh, and John the Baptist and stuff, they didn't find. Um, they didn't the support. Find, yeah, in in the church itself, they they had to go out into into right. the field, into the wilderness to to find it. So that right. was a huge.
2: And I think that's important to recognize, but that, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Majority of us should have support group. Uh, I think a Noah. You know, all those years building an ark when nobody had never rained before and people laughing at him and all the rest of it. Uh, but he did what God called him to do. He was alone. Yeah, you know, there's other, lots of biblical examples where people had to do what God told them to do even though it didn't make sense and even though they were alone. But I think the normal process is to have support, good fellowship, meaningful fellowship. And uh, I encourage people to always do that. I actually, uh, I was in, when we moved to, we used to live in uh, Portland, Oregon, for most of our married life. and We moved across Columbia River to Washington State in New Church. And it was uh, it was tough when you didn't have fellowship, you know, close by, uh, but over time, it's really worked out well. And I would pray, uh, God would bring fellowship, but then I, got involved in an early morning bible study with a bunch of men early because they were leaving for work afterwards and i started praying that god would give me in this new location one person that i could pour my life into and mentor them and one person that was older than i with the reading i could learn from well in this early morning bible study we met at six o'clock in the morning this older gentleman came in and pretty soon we got to be pretty good friends. And we are still friends to this day. He's in his 90s, so he's in a convalescent home. We used to, uh, every Tuesday morning, uh, meet for coffee. And then he got more and more uh, feeble. And so I'd watch from the parking lot and he pulled in the handicaps, cap space. I'd go out and help him with his walker and get him in where we'd have coffee. And then after that, he was too frail for that. So I go over to his house every Tuesday morning. We'd have fellowship together and, uh, now he's in a retirement center quite a few miles away from us. But we talk every morning, every Tuesday morning on the phone. Uh, I had a, at the same time, and I didn't realize what was happening. Uh, the pastor, our senior pastor called me one day and told me there was a young man that really needed a mentor, would I take him on? And I knew the name, but I didn't even know the guy. And normally, you know, you, you know, that doesn't work. But the pastor told me, no, he, he, he knows who you are. And he's one of the names he mentioned. He'd like, to. so I called him. And, we started meeting every week for coffee. And uh, I tried to mentor him, pour my life into him. And I learned a lot from him. And he, like my my uh, buddy that's now in the care home, he just left too. He he, he and his wife moved to uh, Idaho. And uh, it was a God thing in every way. So many things worked out. But so uh, I lost him too, but we still talk phone, Not every week, but occasionally. And, uh, but he's so much stronger than he was. And it's satisfying to know that. And uh, it's just, I think it's part of being a Christian, that you're not just ingrown yourself. And especially if, as a writer, it's easy to become ingrown. I'm a, uh, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm, I'm a very inward type person, but over years, especially because of my career and then later in church I had to force myself to learn to be outgoing and God's helped me that way but my basic nature is I could easily be a hermit (laughs) you
1: know that's that's actually kind of what I was meaning but what uh what um Ravenhill said in in that uh, sermon that I listened to is that Mm -hmm. um just because you sometimes find yourself alone and you can't fit in it doesn't mean that that God has lost all um, all use for you, all hope for you. You know, you you might be in the desert, like uh, like John, and, and you're gonna have to start start your mission there. Or that's what my thought is.
2: You're absolutely right, and and uh, you know the crowd is usually wrong, uh, especially about spiritual things, but even about all things. The crowd is usually wrong, but especially in spiritual things. And so sometimes you're in those desert places where you're basically having to go alone. Uh, Hopefully, that's not most of a person's life, but it couldn't be if that's God's will for your life. Uh, And, you know, it it takes greater inward strength during those times. So it's important. Uh, It's best to be prepared for those. I look at our nation, the way it's going. We may face severe uh, tribulation. You know, I've often asked myself uh, if I were to put up before a firing squad asked to deny Christ. You never know until you might've been in the military in the army and you never know till you're on the battlefield. But I think that I could take the bullets rather than denying Christ. But then I ask myself, well, what if they, uh, they said, if you don't deny Christ, we're going to rape your wife and your daughters here. Would I still be able to, you know? Uh, it's good to ask questions of yourself ahead of time. Say, well, you know, and I've come, I wrestled with that for a long time, and I finally came to a conclusion, you know, God is God. He's sovereign. Uh, why, can't, why can't I trust my wife and daughter into His hands? You know, He's been faithful to me. Uh, I need to be faithful to Him. And if that situation ever came, I think I could stand and not deny Christ. But you never know until you get there, you know. But it's a terrible, sinful world. And uh, I get a kick out of many of our politicians on both sides of the aisle. Whatever's wrong, you just need more money and more education. Well, we're the most educated society has ever been. We have more money than there's ever been. We got as many or more problems. You know? It's a uh, unless you recognize the truth of the word of God that man's basically sinful. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to you. It brings up an interesting story. Uh, we've led midweek Bible studies in our homes for oh 40 years uh, and uh, we had a one year where we decided that we we're gonna study the entire Bible in one year. And so we, we usually broke for summer this year. We weren't going to, so we had 66 books in 52 years. So we had a book a week and sometimes two books a week. A week we had Psalms it was really tough. But anyway, um, it was meant to be an overview bird's eye view. And we had a, at the beginning of the year, we had a young couple join us who had just become Christians there, both previously Catholic. And as we're going through the Old Testament, Jay said, I can't believe what savages these people are in the Old Testament. And he kept talking about savages. And some of us would say, well, Jay, don't you think we're just still savages? It's just that now we use nuclear weapons and all kinds of other things, more sophisticated weapons. But he couldn't get in his, out of his mind what savages these people were. When we got in the New Testament, uh, Debbie, his wife, uh, couldn't get over the fact that she was a saint. She didn't have to be dead and canonized, or, you know, dead a hundred years and canonized by a pope to become a saint. She was a saint now, according to God's word. So anyway, just before the end of our study, he and Jay got transferred to another city. So we had a going away party, and we bought them two great big sweatshirts. And hers had big letters on the front, Saint, and his had big letters on the front, Savage. So I walked down the street together, Savage. But, you know, there's a lot of truth. Uh, and, and I think we need to be able to uh, look at Scripture with a... When I'm writing books, I get contaminated thinking and I have to get away from it for a while, go off and write and work on another book or come back to it, another, sometimes months, sometimes even a year. Well, we do the same thing with reading the Word of God. We're, we're contaminated with the way we viewed that passage. And we need to always be asking God to show fresh. Well, this same guy, Jay, uh, one time we we're reading a passage and uh, he said, This is good. Christ sat down on the right hand of God. He says, Does that mean he was sitting on his hand to hold back his power of, of, of uh, wages of sinners or death and hold back his destructive power? He's holding his hand down. And, uh, you know, all those who have been Christians for a long time just assumed it was a position of honor and the right hand of Christ. But, and I, I think that is the primary meaning. but, what a knight's nice way of thinking about, it. you know what? There's another meaning where maybe, uh, maybe not, but it, it, it's, it's a good symbol because uh, we know that uh, we're waiting till the last saint is called before Christ returns. So anyway, in, interesting thing, we just need to be open-minded and that doesn't mean that we accept false truth, but we need to be willing to look at things in different ways. <clears throat> Typically we, we, we get into contaminated thinking i do i think most people do it's not all bad I mean, pretty efficient really <laughs> sorry
1: yeah that's um that that's actually that sounds far too complicated to do uh try to do a um, cover a whole book in in one week, yeah. some of the books are long. You look at books like uh, Numbers or Leviticus or something, you're like, oh, yeah. right, that's going to be a long
2: one. But we would just try to get the gist of it, talk about it, uh, <clears throat> who the author was, what the historical period was, what the main message was. Was there some key verses that stood out to you? Oftentimes, I'd have them take a particular passage out of the book and paraphrase it in your own words. That's always a fun thing in a Bible study. Um, anyway, but yeah, it was meant to be a bird's eye view. I, I think the I love verse-by-verse doctrinal teaching. I also like topical teaching and I also like bird's eye view. If I'm gonna study a book in depth, I always like to read it straight through the time or two first to get the overall picture before I deal with the individual verses, it's important.
0: Uh,
2: Well, thank
1: you um, for sharing. I definitely wish uh, we had more time to um just talk about uh just talk about scripture while you're talking about the speed of light and those type of things i've th- i've never thought about it much on that um on that way of thinking my brother had a science teacher in grade eight i think and uh and they made some s- connections but uh, yeah i've never really uh really thought about it but um so uh, I just want to thank you for taking time to uh, share with us. I-, I hope to talk to you, talk to you more. Uh, your books are going to be up on uh, ChristianWritersBookstore.com. The link will be in the description below. So hopefully we can drive a bit more, um, a bit more attention, attention your way. And I just want to say thank you for, um, for what you're doing, for, for your writing. And I pray that God continues to use you in, uh, in the ministry, however that may be. And
2: um appreciate yeah. that, you know, and I actually, uh, I don't know if I'm unusual or not, but God seems to have used me in different ways throughout my life. You know, um, when I first became a Christian, I, I ended up shortly thereafter in the military. And God used me and two other military buddy friends during the Vietnam War to start a Christian serviceman's home in Fort Benning, Georgia. And uh, we were leading guys to Christ virtually every night. Uh, guys heading off to Vietnam the next day and stuff like that. Uh, and we, my wife and I revisited there not too long, a few years ago, still functioning. Uh, it's, but then later I got, was used heavily in teaching. I've been used in counseling. Uh, now God's using me in writing. Uh, I still do other teaching and stuff too, but you know, it's different phases of your life. And uh, can I mention my blog? Yeah, I I also have a a blog on the internet. It's a daily blog. It's quite different than my books. It's just a very simple, straightforward, uh, usually mostly scripture, uh, daily blog titled Abundant Life Now. And uh, it's at uh, robertlloydrussell.blogspot.com. And uh, where Abundant Life Now. Google it and you'll find me. Uh, And uh, again, it's... It's it's amazed me how God used that. It's been read in over 200 countries, over 100 languages translated. Uh, Right now, I have almost so many readers in Italy and Germany as I do in the US. Uh, It's crazy how God uses the internet nowadays. We'll work here. Thank you for it. I appreciate this opportunity. And I look forward to uh, getting a copy of what you put up.
1: Um, So yeah, definitely. I will. I will send it to you when I can. I, I remember reading a thing on on, uh, on the internet um, saying what Apostle Paul would have written if he knew that it could be instantly um, instantly sent.
2: So. Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, um, so your your stuff's gonna be up on uh, on ChristianWritersBookstore.com. So if you guys want to support uh, support Christian Writers Bookstore, it'll be there. And uh, your website and your blog is also gonna be in the description below. So, uh, I hope you guys are having a good day, and I'll talk to you later. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you very much, and I'll be praying for your ministry. Hey, guys, thank you for paying, for being with us. I hope you enjoyed um, enjoyed this interview. If you'd like to support the author or support com. the link will be in the description below. Also, if you'd like to get some merchandise like this uh, shirt, uh, uh shirts, mugs, we got a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, feel free to check out the merchandise uh, section on the website all right I hope you guys have a good day God bless bye now
0: are you an avid reader searching for wholesome books have you been searching for new and exciting adventures or uplifting biographies How about escaping in a fictional novel? A wholesome fictional novel, that is? Then ChristianWritersBookstore.com is for you. There is so much to explore on ChristianWritersBookstore.com. It was designed to showcase and support authors and creators alike to get their story out. Stories of encouragement and inspiration. Stories to make you laugh or feel victorious. What can you find at christianwritersbookstore.com? Bible studies and devotions, biographies and memoirs, books about Christian living, children's books and comics. There's adventure, fantasy, fiction, thrillers, and suspense. Poetry, music, self-help, and educational materials. Meet the authors and hear their stories. Find blogs, vlogs, and YouTube videos all meant to guide and encourage you. You can find this and much more at christianwritersbookstore.com. That's christianwritersbookstore.com.